Welcome to the Hardwick Evangelical Church Weekly Podcast. Good morning, everyone. I feel so excited whenever I start reading the Word of God. Something special happens and my spirit comes up and I feel so privileged that God sent his own son to die for me. And reading the passage for today, it was such a powerful message. And it doesn't only apply for these two thieves on the cross next to Jesus, but also to me and everyone else who believes in him. I will ask Sula to come and read. The text is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they had come to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Today you are going to be with me. There couldn't be any stronger message from Jesus confirming his love and his care. So in today's lesson we look uh, at some of the events that took place on the day of Jesus' resurrection, uh, crucifixion. Jesus was arrested tried, convicted, all in a great hurry. And they decided that he was going to die, so they took him to the the Roman governor to confirm, just to confirm his conviction. They were sure that he had to die. There was no doubt. So they had to do all this in a hurry. 
because the feast of the Passover was coming for the next two days. As soon as he was convicted to death, he was led, led to the place of Golgotha, the place of Skull. If you have ever been to Jerusalem, I'm sure you all have gone to see the face of the skull, Golgotha. It's the formation of a skull on the side of the rock. It's a not very big hill, all rocky. And the rocks form the face of the skull. It's not a very good picture because you know, as time passes, uh, these rocks have been eroded and they are losing the original uh, face, the original, original image. But the reason we uh, see so important is because the Bible says they took him to the place of the skull, which was in Greek, Golgotha, the face of the skull. And it was outside of the city because it was a place that they were taking people who were going to be executed. And you know, when the Romans executed somebody, uh, they wouldn't care to bury him. If he had any relatives or friends that they could take care of his body, good luck. But if they didn't, their body was going to be there, rotting on its own, or animals, you know, it was horrific. And the smell must have been so horrible. So it must have been outside of the city. If you go now to Jerusalem, in the Great Sepulchre, they show that the Golgotha is there and the uh, grave is there. But it's not realistic because it was so near the town. I know the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed and built three times and the original city was small, but still, the Great Sepulchre is very near to what it would have been the center of Jerusalem. And the smell must have been horrific for the people in the city from that place of death. So if you go there and you see this rock, at the bottom is like a little square now, it's under the Palestinian rule. Uh, so not many visitors can go there. But it was a place that it was a great road going through, and it was like a crossroads, and people, it was busy with people going up and down all day. The reason being that the people who are crucified, the people who are punished with the crucifixion, they would be there, and the people would pass by, mocking them, insulting them. It was such, you know, a horrible death to be on the cross, feeling the pain, and having the people, people who probably never met you in their lives, come by and laugh at you, swear at you, maybe throw stones at you. That was a place of Golgotha. So as soon as he was convicted to death, he was led to this place. 
and he was crucified with two criminals who were convicted probably sometime before Christ. They wanted to crucify him with them because they were criminals to show that Jesus is a criminal as well. And they placed him in the middle like it was, he was the worst of them all. But what they didn't expect was what, was what happened with the one of them, one of these two criminals. These two thieves were to be the witnesses of the way Jesus was treated by the crowd. Jesus was reviled and reproached and treated with all the scorn and contempt imaginable when he was lifted up upon the cross. It was so strange that so much barbarity could be found in the human nature. The religious chiefs seemed to be satisfied with the work they had done to convict him and send him to death so easily. And I'm sure the devil was happy that he managed to defeat Jesus and send him to death. Once you offered him, if you bow down before me and worship me, I will give you the word. Remember when he was fasting in the desert? But of course, Jesus told him, go behind me, devil. And now, the devil sees Jesus led to the death. He says, that's it. He's finished. My enemy is crushed. So the religious chiefs were happy. The two thieves were crucified, one on his right and the other on his left. So they were, they were so near the suffering Jesus and they would be able to hear him saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. He was praying for the people who were crucifying him. The people who put him through this uh, horrific experience. He was asking his, his father to forgive them instead of probably throw fire and burn them. He doesn't complain. He doesn't curse them. But with pain in his heart because of the actions, he feels pity for, for them. Surely, they didn't know what they were doing. And as we read in the First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But the rulers, sneering at him, they said, he saved others. <laughs> now, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. Even the soldiers came up and mocked him because they had put a sign on top of the cross in three languages, Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. He is the king of the Jews. So the soldiers said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And the people were watching 
enjoining the sneering and cursing Jesus. These were probably the same people that Jesus, a few days ago maybe, he was doing so much for them. Healing, feeding, doing so much. And now that was their response for all the good work Jesus had done. And what they were doing now, it was like their thank you to his love and kindness and mercy. How ungrateful they were and how much pain they were giving to suffering Jesus Christ, the caring, the loving Jesus. But Jesus was true to his word when he was saying in the Gospel of John, the third chapter, verses 16 to 18, that he didn't come to judge, but to save people. If you can imagine somebody crucifying you and you feel sorry for them and you pray for them. Only God could have done that. And this explains his plea to the Father. Forgive them, Father. They don't really know what they are doing. While all this was happening, let us remember the two thieves. We said they were the witness of what was going on. Surely they were suffering on the cross, but they, by what they heard, what was said by Jesus, the last thing. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, uh, it was said that both thieves who were crucified with him, they, were, uh, they reviled him, which some think that is by a figure put for one of them. But others think that they both did revile him at first, till the heart of one of them was wonderfully changed. And the devil, who was, who was preparing to receive another added bonus, another soul, Michael, now he is losing that one. This thief is coming out of the clutch of the devil. And we'll see how. The first one thought he was now, that he was now in pain and agony and nearing his death, yet he did not humble his spirit maybe to say something encouraging to his fellow sufferers. Maybe influenced by what was hearing from the people around. Maybe because he was too wicked, too nasty himself. We don't know. But one thing we know is that he turned nasty and insulting to Jesus. He could have asked Jesus as a last resort, maybe, to help him. He knew he was dying soon, and there is nothing to save him. But, but his nastiness or unbelief comes with the words, 
Aren't you the Christ? Said yourself and us. <laughs> but most probably he didn't even believe in the words he was saying. But the other one, who us who have read maybe he was nasty to Jesus at the beginning, now has a changed heart and turns, turns to, G, to him, to Jesus, and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. <coughs> he doesn't say, save yourself and us, but because he's convinced that the man crucified next to him, it is the king of the Jews, as the sign was saying, he's the chosen one of God. And he will come down on the cross, but not alive for this world, but in a glorified life beyond death and destruction, beyond the powers of death and darkness, beyond the limitation of this human kingdom, but coming to the real kingdom of God. He truly repents and asks Jesus to remember him. He has a humble and genuine spirit of repentance even at the last hours of his life. And Jesus answered him, I tell you, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Soon as you die, you will be with me. He didn't ask to be saved and live in this wicked world. He realized that the kingdom of God, where Jesus was going, it was something much greater, much more viable than living in this world where misery, death and pain was so much in abundance. This thief probably has never seen Jesus before. And this is his first and most precious encounter with him and the last in his life on earth. He takes this last opportunity to ask Jesus to take him with him to the real freedom, the real life. Notice Jesus' readiness to receive this afflicted and impoverished man in his kingdom without any other questions or conditions. Christ doesn't care about his ethnicity, his class or his culture. We don't even know his name. This man who has survived history for 2,000 years and they all know the thief who died on the cross forgiven. We don't know who he was, we don't know his name, but we know that he was saved by Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It's enough that he believes and repents even at the last hour of his life. Believe and repent. The two thieves had an encounter with Jesus, first time seeing and hearing him. And the word 
comes buzzing. Father, forgive them. Forgive them all. And maybe some of these people who are sneering and cursing Jesus, in a few days when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, heard the gospel again and believed in Jesus Christ. They saw who really Jesus Christ was, the real king. It is the heart's response to such an event. What do we understand from the response of these two people? There is only one decision for both to make. You either decide to believe and surrender by repenting, or you ignore it and refuse to accept him. There is no immediate solution. You either believe and accept him, or you don't believe and you don't accept him. For the thieves, it was the last thing. They have to make a decision for their lives. Maybe, or surely, they didn't have another opportunity before. God saves even the last minute if it is genuine and maybe the only chance while still alive. But for people who had this encounter ignored it or refused to act correctly, maybe there would be no more chances. We read in the Gospel of John in the third chapter, verses 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But listen to the warning. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God, the one and only Son. Because if we neglect to make a decision, when we hear the word, because when we hear the word, is like having an encounter with Jesus Christ. And when we hear the word, we have to make a decision, which is, who knows, maybe the last one, because who knows how long we're going to live. People say, oh, I'm still young. I still have time to do this business with religion and God. I still have time if needed to repent. But who guarantees that we're going to live long? Death happens so fast. I remember one time I was working in insurance. And that was my strong point when I was to convince the customers to make a life insurance. They were saying, but 
am I going to pay all my life? And when I die, who is going to receive the money? So I was saying, first of all, who told you that going to live long? But I'm telling you that if you die, your family will have some money to support them. But what an exciting thing, face to face with Jesus. How much love and kindness by God to, relieve, to reveal himself to us. But for us, the living now, we have a hope. When we have this encounter and respond correctly, we are going to see Jesus. Because it's like he's promising to us, like he promised to that thief. From today, you are with me in paradise. You are with me in the kingdom of God. We don't know much about the paradise, but we know that if Jesus says, you are going to be with me in paradise, it's enough for me. I don't want to know anything else. So, we pray that we will see him when he comes in his glory. Father, we want to thank you for sending Jesus to us, for giving us this great love, great mercy. Thank you, Father, that you made it possible through Jesus Christ to find life, to find meaning in our lives. But more important, have life with you in your kingdom, in the eternal life. Help us, Father, that we make the right choice when it's needed. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. For more information about Hardwick Evangelical Church, please click the website link in our bio.